Welcome, all you happy warriors and eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. And uh, we're going to take a look today at uh, just how it is that a culture and a civilization, once rooted in dignity and discipline, has now deteriorated to one based on desire and dependency. And perhaps a place to start might be the old riddle you might remember from childhood. It goes something like, no, not something like this, goes exactly like this. Uh, Three people go to a restaurant or a coffee shop, shall we say, and uh, they each order a coffee and with a pastry or whatever and uh, the eventually the waiter arrives with a bill the check and it's for two dollars and fifty cents shall we say uh, the each of the people takes out a dollar bill and puts it on the waiter's tray and the waiter goes back with the check for two dollars and fifty cents and three separate dollar bills And he comes back with 50 cents in the form of five dimes. So he thinks to himself, how am I going to give five dimes back to three people? So I'll make this easier. He gives himself a tip of 20 cents. So he drops two dimes in his own pocket. And then he returns to the table with three dimes. And he gives each person a dime back. And everybody is happy. They leave it at that. But now, our question is that we're stuck with a little bit of a financial paradox, which is what? Well, the men paid how much? How much has each person paid? Well, that's easy, right? Because each person put a dollar out and got a dime back. So every single, uh, each one of these three people paid 90 cents. Altogether, they paid 270. And don't forget there's 20 cents in the waiter's pocket. That comes to be 290. But we started off with $3. So where's the missing dime? That's the mystery. Right? Each of the uh, diners paid a dollar and got a dime back. So that means they paid 90 cents. And three of them paying 90 cents means $2.70. Don't forget the 20 cents in the waiter's pocket. That's 290. And we started off with $3. So there's a missing dime somewhere. Where is it? Where's the missing 10 cents gone? Now, one of the great things about a podcast as opposed to a terrestrial radio show is that you can put this show on pause, right? Everyone has a little pause button. You can put it on pause. And if you are in any way intrigued by this little puzzle and want to contemplate it for a few moments, then go ahead and put the show on pause while you think about it. And now that everybody is back and ready to deal with the little problem, um, you will see that it is the, the, the enigma is the result of a deliberate distortion in the question. You'll remember that what I said was that each man paid a dollar and got a dime back. So each man paid 90 cents multiplied by three men. And that's a total of $2.70 paid. 
And uh, then I said, but there's still a two dimes in the waiter's pocket. That comes to be two ninety now, missing 10 cents. No, there, that's where the distortion lay. Everything was right while I was telling you that each band paid 90 cents. Each, everything was right when I told you that the total was 270. But the correct uh, step after that is to say, okay, so there's a total of 270 paid, 250 went to the restaurant, and 20 cents went to the waiter's pocket, and there we're done. Right? That's how we got to, to 270. 250 for the bill plus a uh, tip the waiter gave himself of 20 cents in his pocket, and that's how. A uh, two fifty for the bill plus twenty cents in the waiter's pocket is two dollars and seventy cents, which is exactly what the three people paid. So there's no mystery at all. I just made it up and I said, now two dollars seventy plus twenty cents in the waiter's pocket is two ninety. There's <laughs> there's no reason to add those two figures because the twenty cents is part of the two seventy. You have to say two seventy minus twenty cents gives you the two fifty that the bill was, but you can't. Like two seventy plus the twenty cents makes absolutely no sense. The twenty cents came out of the two dollars and seventy cents. Okay, uh, the point is that it's very easy to misstate or misperceive something and then you scratch your head in bewilderment trying to figure out how can this possibly be like you know where's the missing 10 cents no there's no missing 10 cents it makes the whole thing makes perfect sense there's no problem at all so um, what is the if that's the example what am i speaking of well there are uh instances in the culture today so many bizarre and strange things happen that it's very easy to scratch your head in bewilderment and say I don't understand you know what is going on here and I'm going to give you two examples of uh, what is going on here and then we are going to uh, try and understand the one explanation that solves both mysteries. What are the two mysteries? The first one is a uh, a new story that got quite a lot of publicity uh, recently, and it's not the first time it's been tried, but uh, it's it's being sort of extensively promoted now, probably because of the uh, the cultural mood out there at the present time. What am I talking about? Well, it turns out that a New York woman uh, bought a little eight-acre island uh, off the Finland coast in the Baltic Sea, and she's created a resort with a difference. And the difference is it's only for women. Coupled with that is a new trend in workspaces. Now, Uh, you all know that one of the most successful companies is a company called WeWork. And what WeWork does is they go into appropriate uh, neighborhoods and they buy a building and they renovate the building uh, into um, all suite offices. And the thing is set up so that... um, you know, if you're a small business person and you're working out of your house, which has tremendous disadvantages, 
they're really i mean if you're a if you're trying to start a business you really as soon as you possibly can you really want even if you have to borrow some space from someone who may have some spare office space somewhere but um having a place you go out of your house to every morning is a helpful thing and so not surprisingly uh, we work has done very well because it's the sort of place where you don't have to sign long-term leases and do all kinds of scary things if you're a starting up entrepreneur you go along and you can rent an office month to month and the nice thing is it comes with a receptionist and it comes with a conference suite and uh, again this is not a new idea at all it's been around for a long time but WeWorks is doing it very effectively and uh, it's very uh, technologically savvy so it suits people and um, and not surprisingly the company it's a it's a fairly recent startup the company's doing very well indeed uh, well, interesting thing, there's now a new range of startups. Again, uh, work suites just like this that you can come in and rent for a period of time. And there's also uh, common spaces. One of the things about working at home, if you have an office at home and you're a, s a sole practitioner, is loneliness. Um, and there's no, there's nobody around you. It's, it's, it can be very difficult and and somewhat self-destructive in certain ways as well. But in this way, you're kind of around other people all the time. You've got your own office space, but you can always go into the cafeteria or into the conference, whatever it is. Basically, people find this kind of workspace very nice. And the, um, the latest development is women-only ones. And so there are a bunch of those. I want to explore that with you just a little bit as well as I also want to explore with you a, um, a, a look at Germany right now. What's happening in Germany? Well, Germany, ever since World War II, Germany um, is, you know, and, and I, I understand for good reason, Germany is, particularly its government, is very, um, I want to say obsessed, although there is a slightly negative connotation to the word obsessed. But at any rate, Germany has for a long time been obsessed with atoning for World War II. Now, I I will tell you that this is very much uh, uh, like what has happened over the last few years in the United States and in the United Kingdom, where there is enormous tension between the elite establishment, uh, the rulers, the power, the power people, and the the ordinary people in the street, and so uh, you've got the uh, the people who uh, rather obnoxiously and uh, self righteously declared. In, during 2016, Hillary is the most qualified candidate for president, you know, because these people are uh, qualification obsessed. And so they always, they want to know which university did you go to? Did you go to a top-rate university? What, did, what degree did you get? To such an extent that increasingly, I've found, people are becoming less capable of evaluating an argument. People are becoming inadequate at debating because they've fallen back on this idea of, well, uh, 
your opinion, your view doesn't matter because you didn't go to Harvard or Yale in in the case of uh, Hillary Clinton, Yale. Uh, so uh, in Britain, it was over the Brexit deal where the ordinary people in England realized that their lives were being destroyed by uh, out-of-control immigration because England is treaty-bound to accept anybody from any European country. And so people from Middle East, North Africa countries poured into uh, into the European Union. And from there, England couldn't stop them coming in. So the elitists, uh, the rulers of England, the, the people at the top of the pyramid, all want to feel virtuous. And so they are also, along with its internationalism, uh, they wanted to stay in the European Union, and the immigrants coming in is wonderful, and it makes England better. Ordinary folks who have to live with the consequences knew it was no good and successfully voted to leave the European Union. In Germany, again, it is the elitist, the establishment that for many years has been uh, obsessed with this idea of atoning for World War II, whereas the ordinary people in the street now are saying, you know what? Maybe Grandpa was in the Wehrmacht. Maybe he was even a Nazi. But you know what? It's 70 years ago. Let's get on with our lives. It's enough with the apologizing. It's enough with the atoning. There are other bad places in the world, too. I don't see them atoning. Russia? No, they're not doing too many atonements. Uh, China for the death and destruction they imposed during their cultural revolution? No, nobody's doing any apologizing. It's just us Germans. It's enough already. And... Um, one can readily understand that position as well. Uh, the problem is that the establishment of which Merkel, Angela Merkel, Merkel is a very major part, um, has long since is established that the atonement is brought about by, number one, constant support for the state of Israel, um, ongoing financial payments to Israel, and also open-door policy for immigrants. Well, not surprisingly, there's a little bit of a clash because all the immigrants coming into Germany nowadays, well, they kind of hate Israel and they're not too crazy about Jews either. So there's a clash. And it's always interesting when liberal policies clash with themselves because that reveals internal fractures in the entire philosophy in the first place. But... Uh, that's as far as we'll go in this little segment as we get ready to move on. Uh, the website is always and is uh, rabbidaniellappin.com or youneedarabbi.com. That gets you there as well. And uh, please go ahead, take a look at the, the website and uh, take a look at a book that Susan and I did called Buried Treasure. Life Lessons from the Lord's Language. It's got an, a, yeah, a message in it from uh, Pastor John Hagee of the um, Christians United for Israel and uh, a good friend of ours as well. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Back with you in just a moment. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, we're looking at the uh, paradox that, on the one hand, Germany... Uh, led by its its political and intellectual leaders, has been obsessed with atoning for World War II, an atonement which finds expression in unquestioning support for Israel and uh, concern for the welfare of Jews, 
and at the same time a traditional openness to immigration. In other words, they're trying to prove that the uh, uh, outrageous and intense German nationalism that was part of the Nazi past, nationalist socialism, all of that is gone and that uh, they're not uh, uh, xenophobically German. They may be German, but they're open to all other people and immigrants are always welcome. And now the interesting problem is that these two uh, positions are violently at odds with one another because all the immigrants that Germany is bringing in happen to be people who strongly disagree with Germany's first position, namely uh, pro-Israel and uh, pro-Semitic. Obviously, the people they're bringing in Uh, like attacking Jews and killing Jews in the streets of Germany, just as they've been doing in France for many years. So, how do these two things get resolved? Well, that is the question we are discussing. What do these two things have to do with one another, namely the German problem and the island just for women and the workplaces just for women? Well, let me tell you a little bit more about that. It's called the Super She Island. And uh, um, there's a, a young woman called Christina Roth, who uh, apparently visited from New York. She visited a, uh, a boyfriend in, in Finland. I don't know how that relationship continued or not. But uh, while she was there, she had the opportunity to purchase a little island. And she's decided to turn it into... A, uh, a resort for a, a women's only vacation place. And uh, she, uh, she's trying to uh, leverage that into a, a lifestyle blog and a networking group that encourages only women to connect with and to befriend and to encourage only other women. So that's what... Um, uh, that's what her plan is. Um, she's um, she's looking for women to start vacationing there, and uh, and you know again some people are not surprisingly questioning whether being a female only space turns it into uh, something which is sexist and uh, and um, not surprisingly one of her critics say well it's just for rich white women. Uh, and so this is going to be disproportionately negative for people of color or with disabilities or trans women and those who are gender non-conforming. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pleasure to read, quite, quite honestly. It's really all very, very funny. Uh, but anyways, what isn't funny is the basic idea that this is uh, she intends this as a vacation spot without any sexual tension okay now when did we last hear about a place we need a place without any sexual tension and that was when female only gyms and workout places began to open a few years back I'm sure you remember that and again there was lots of uh, 
upset there because oh if if anyone if you want a men only's place that's not allowed but women's only places is allowed well me personally me your rabbi rabbi daniel lapner i've got no problem with that i understand perfectly uh why uh you know women may want to be alone i get that especially when they exercise i get it Um, I just think that men who want to have a men's only place should also be allowed to do the same thing. But obviously that is strictly verboten, not allowed. So, uh, but that same idea, I I recognize it, I get it, right? Um, Because women would like to exercise in areas where there's no sexual tension where they don't feel that they're being, um, I, I, you know, leered at. But leered at conjures up a picture of a, uh, you know, an unpleasant-looking guy peering intently. And But it doesn't have to be that way. The fact is that uh, uh, men's eyeballs swivel automatically when... A, an attractive woman woman passes by or is in the vicinity. Now, it is certainly possible, and and many, um, shall I say, many refined and upright men train themselves to prevent their eyeballs swiveling. All right, there are many men who do that to honor their wives, so that their wives don't have to sort of feel that every time they walk past an attractive woman, the guy's head jerks to the left or jerks to the right to to watch that. But if you do not do that, if you are a a healthy heterosexual male, um, then there's only two possibilities. Your head and your eyes swivel and jerk immediately to notice a good-looking woman, or alternatively, you have deliberately stopped yourself, you've trained yourself, and you've said to yourself, you know, that's that's not appropriate, that's not to me, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be that basic. All right, so that's what somebody does. But uh, that in public spaces, attractive women feel the eyes on them, male eyes on them, sure. And I'm sure that many women enjoy it, and I'm sure many women do not enjoy it. And so that there should be women's only gym spaces, particularly when, you know, women may want to exercise in in more form-fitting or revealing outfits. Um, Now, there are many women I know who deliberately choose to go to gyms uh, at which there are men. Fine, that's what they want to do. Then there are other women who prefer to be at gyms that are female only. Totally get it. So Super She Island is um, their their advertisement, by the way, is have you ever wanted to run away to a deserted island, breathe fresh air, swim naked in the sea, and sleep under the stars? Well, uh, starting in uh, June 2018, they're going to start taking membership applications and vacation apl- applications. And there on, on this special place called Super She Island, there will be daily wellness activities led by women such as yoga, meditation. There'll be, f- all right, enough. I don't have to do their advertising on them. But they say women need to spend time with other women. 
Being on vacation with men can cause women to become sidetracked, whether it's to put on a swipe of lipstick or grab for a cover-up. We want Super She Island to be rejuvenating in a safe space where women can reinvent themselves and their desires. A place where you can recalibrate without distractions. Hidden in the Baltic Sea off the coast of Finland, and so on and so forth. And that's... uh, uh, that's you know that's the story of of Super Island, um, a women's only luxury retreat, and um, by the way they they at the moment can accommodate uh, ten women only. Um, it's about how it's a it's it's about I don't know about a five or six acre island something like that maybe seven. Uh, it's a small island and. Um, and there's there's apparently four little uh, huts or or little lodges on it, whatever it is. But um, there it is. I I get it. I understand it. Um, and coupled with that are women only co working spaces. Right. So now uh, I've 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 told you about. We've spoken about what co working spaces are, and you know that. But uh, the advertisements for them, again, are, are interesting. Um, uh, members, f- women members of these kinds of places claim to feel more productive and they feel like there's less pressure in an environment without men. Again, I'm sure that there are many women who would prefer and do prefer working in, in an environment with men. After all, many relationships and even marriages do develop from work environment so obviously there are going to be women who's, who are going to say are you crazy you really think i want to lock myself up for 40 hours a week in a woman only environment yeah but there are other women who will and uh, and so there are these places that have opened in new york in washington dc uh, by the way when the dc location of a of this women's only uh, co-working environment it's called the wing i think um, they got a thousand applications in the first 24 hours, and I think it's got room for 100 women or something like that. So there it is. The uh, they're showing uh, they're showing up in Los Angeles, in Toronto, San Diego, uh, spaces for women-only work offices, and uh, and that's that's this development this is something that's very very real and of course there are all kinds of other people saying oh this is uh, sexist Uh, women are shouldn't be able to isolate themselves again because their argument is that women and men are exactly the same but that simply isn't true the reality is that uh, if men if most men most men who feel female eyes upon them are, are fine i I don't think any normal male feels bothered or threatened or harassed, right, by a woman gazing at him, even if she gazes at him with obvious sexual interest. Uh, For most men, that's good news. For most women, being looked at hungrily is not pleasant. Most women do not want that. That's just one of the many differences between men and women. And so, uh, why it is that many leftists would say men and women are just the same and that women-only workspaces are ridiculous, there's no reason for it, they should be stopped just as much as men-only workspaces, um, that's complete nonsense. 
Of course, it's understandable why some women would want to exercise only in the presence of other women or why someone would want to work in only the presence of other women. Uh, Being as uh, we believe in freedom, uh, we should be perfectly okay with that. No problem at all. You want a women's only vacation island? God bless you. You want a women's only workspace? Great. Nobody should be forced to go there. Nobody should be prevented from going there, other than men, of course. They will, of course, um, have problems. And in fact, Miss Roth, who's done a super she island in Finland, has already run up against a problem of a man who identifies as a woman uh, requesting to be able to come to the island. Look, it's uh, that... (laughs) This is all part of of what we're discussing the uh, the the difference between men and women. No, not so much that. More the internal clashes that develop when you uh, set up a false situation. Where's the missing ten cents? No, there's no missing ten cents. If you look at it correctly and realize that the way it is twenty cents plus the two dollars fifty that the restaurant was paid make up the $2.70 that was paid. Similarly here, when you see what is really going on, how the world really works, uh, then all of this will make plenty sense. And that's what I hope to be able to uh, clarify for you as soon as we get back. Uh, I am your rabbi. The website is rabbidaniellappin.com. And if you go there, you'll find a link to our television show. Did you know that Susan Lappin and I do a daily television show, half an hour show, where we take a point in ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, usually biblically based, and uh, we walk you through it. Uh, So if you want to see more, if you'd be interested in taking a look at the TV show, go to the website. Just look on the website for the TV show. You'll find a link to it. And away you go. No problem at all. If you would like to read back copies of Thought Tool or Ask the Rabbi or Susan's Musings, all of that also at rabbidaniellappin.com. And finally, the resource recommended for you this week is Buried Treasure, Life Lessons from the Lord's Language. Uh, It's a book in which we take about 30 different words in Hebrew, and uh, intended for non-Hebrew readers, we show how the word actually reveals inner meanings. You know, well-known words like shalom, you know, hello or peace, as well as lesser-known words such as sister. Why is the Hebrew word for a sister only in the plural? Which means that even I, who only has one sister, has two sisters. Really? Yeah, because in Hebrew, in English, I say, I have one sister. In Hebrew, I have to say, I have one sisters. The language won't let me speak of only a singular sister. So why, in a way, uh, that is not true for brothers? I do have one brother. Right, I don't actually have two brothers, but Uh, Somebody who has one brother can say, I have one brother, but he'd have to say, I have one sisters. Why? Anyway, that kind of thing we take a good look at, and we see about the uh, essential truths 
and the permanent principles that are revealed from the structure of the Hebrew language, of the Lord's language. So the book is called Buried Treasure, and that is at our website, youneedarabbi.com. Back with you in just a moment. Here we are, you happy warriors. We're back in the third segment of this episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And uh, looking at the internal clashes, the internal inconsistencies, uh, first of all, uh, island just for women, workplaces just for women, gymnasium and workout places just for women, and that lets women be empowered and so But at the same time, it's also sexist. And so you've got many women who are decrying and criticizing women's only workspaces, who are criticizing and condemning women's only vacation islands or or resorts, and who are condemning in the strongest terms women-only gymnasiums. So you've got the, the world of the left, the wonderful world of the left, on the one hand saying, well, women should be entitled to their own places, free of male harassment. Uh, But at the same time, they're saying, well, you're undoing all these years of feminist progress because you're once again putting women in an isolated situation. And if you're going to allow women's only places, how do you stop men's only places? And men's only places are where they plot and plan to keep women subjugated. (laughs) Um, It's all very interesting, not to mention entertaining. And then on the German front... Uh, you've got these, again, internal conflicts where Germany is saying, well, in order to atone for World War II and to show that we are no longer Nazis, we are good to Jews, we support the state of Israel, and at the same time, we're not xenophobic German nationalists, we welcome anybody, and that will help you understand. I'm sure many of you uh, were, were baffled and bewildered, puzzled and perplexed as to why in 2015 Angela Merkel, the um, head of Germany, uh, was letting in a million Muslim, mostly male, by the way, which is you know a, a pretty good sign that you've got a problem on your hands, um, mostly male Muslim immigrants. What was she thinking? Well, what she was saying is, hey, we do not make racial or nationalistic or religious uh, discriminations anymore. We're no longer the Germans of the middle 20th century. We're enlightened. We are liberated. And so everybody is welcome in Germany, and they'll help us because our birth rate is down and we're an aging population. So bringing in a million young men, that's good for us. But there's only one problem, and that is almost without exception, every single one of the uh, Muslim immigrants that they have so embraced and so warmly welcomed, well, they hate Israel, and they'd like to kill a few more Jews. And sure enough, that's precisely what they've been doing on the streets of Germany. Um, And little by little, you're getting a fracture line showing up in Germany between the uh, intellectual, political, 
elite of the country and the ordinary folks you know the 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 people who work on the bmw assembly line just outside munich and they're saying this is not good for us they're also saying it's enough with paying money to israel it's enough atoning for the holocaust if we see one more holocaust memorial in germany we'll vomit that's what they're saying and I must tell you that uh, as a Jew, I, I totally understand that. I totally get that. You know, there, there comes a point you move on. It's not healthy to constantly keep this alive again and again and again. Other countries don't do it. Sadly, America also does this. Uh, it's part of the sickness of secular fundamentalism or leftist ideology, uh, it's a complete obliteration of any sense of self-worth and self-value. And instead of that, America does this constant self-flagellation over the evils of the past, uh, whether it's uh, American Indians, indigenous people, or whether it's over slavery. And any time, if you dare to, to criticize, any time you say, you know what, let's move forward now. Let's just move forward. Uh you're a racist, right? Obviously, that's that's the way you club somebody or bludgeon somebody into complete philosophical submission. You're an anti-Semite. You're a racist. And there's nothing more to be said. End of conversation. So uh, this obviously is uh, just one of the sad um, fallouts of leftist thinking. And in Germany, you've got exactly this sort of thing going on. But more and more people are starting to say, it's enough already. And they're exactly right. They're exactly right. It's enough already. Uh, you know, when when Russia apologizes, and when Ch- as I said earlier, how about Cuba does some apologizing? Uh, you know, none of that is happening. Uh, how about uh, Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe does some apologizing? Uh, when when is that going to happen? No. And by the way, it's not only a color thing. It's not only a color thing, because you might remember that uh, with um, overwhelming evidence, right, there really is no thoughtful, knowledgeable person who doubts for one moment that O.J. Simpson was guilty of murdering two people. And yet, when he was exonerated by a jury in Los Angeles. There was a cause for widespread black celebration uh, because the way this thing worked was that the whole prosecution was portrayed as a uh, a racial thing. That's right. Wicked white people were prosecuting O.J. Simpson and uh, the blacks on the jury, <laughs> off he went. Now, you know, he's pretty much ruined his life since then. But but here's an interesting question, I think. Uh, Why was Bill Cosby not defended by the black uh, activists of the day? Right? Why didn't they step forward and say, again, you know what? This is a beloved black hero, um, a a terrific uh, spokesman, a terrific guy, who uh, is being prosecuted by white people again, and it's all these white women are trying to bring down another brother. Why, why didn't we hear that? 
Answer, I'll tell you why. You want to know why Bill Cosby uh, was um, prosecuted and convicted of sexual assault? Uh, Yeah, I'll explain to you. And I will also point out that while obviously I do not know whether he really did these things or not, I do know that in the current climate, uh, when women accuse a man of something, even though it happened 10, 15 years later, and uh, and in spite of the fact that uh, there is ample research being done on how it is possible to create memories of things that never happened, maybe they did and maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter for, for the purpose of the present conversation. All that matters is there was a whole lot more evidence. It was clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that O.J. Simpson brutally massacred a young man and a young woman, right? No question about it. And yet the black establishment, the civil rights crowd, the uh, the Jesse Jacksons and all of that crowd, uh, every right? It was, it was almost a joke uh, of getting O.J. Simpson off, which they did. He was, why is it that nobody rallied with Bill Cosby? After all, these are things that uh, were alleged to have happened years and years earlier, and uh, it's her word against his. There was no evidence, per se, uh, and I'm quite sure in years to come, lawyers will study the Bill Cosby case and they'll scratch their heads and say, how how on earth could they have convicted this guy? But that's the mood of the country right now. And so, you know, why is it that the that that nobody came out um, and and defended him. I mean, all the the usual people. Look at what happened. All the people who came out with the Starbucks controversy. Again, you know, I don't know exactly what happened there, but a, a case of national significance, really? Can we never move forward? Is it not possible? But um, never mind. It's uh, the bottom line is nobody, nobody defended Cosby. Nobody at least even said, you know what? Let's pull the race card on this. He's a black guy. He's being accused by white women, and a lot of time has gone by. Let's let's say this is all racist. No, where were the Al Sharptons? Where were the Jesse Jacksons? Where were the uh, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People? Right? Nothing. You know why? Because in 2004, uh, Bill Cosby was the featured speaker at a big event in Washington, D.C., and um, it was a civil rights uh, banquet that honored the um, 50th anniversary, it was its 50th, the golden anniversary anyway, of the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education ruling. And uh, uh, Cosby was honored for his educational philanthropy, and uh, he was asked to to respond to all the honors that were bestowed upon him. And everyone thought he was going to get up and tell a few jokes and say thank you and sit down. Instead, Bill Cosby used his opportunity to speak vehemently and strenuously about fatherless homes 
in black families, uh, the school achievement gap, black crime rates, civil rights leaders who spend too much time making excuses for these results instead of helping cure them. And what he was saying, his whole point in that speech was that many blacks today were not taking advantage of the opportunities created by that previous generation of civil rights trailblazers. Um, in, in, his, in his exact words, by the way, he said, those people, the people who fought for Brown versus Board of Education, um, they gave us the right. And today in our cities and public schools, we have 50% dropout rates. In our own neighborhoods, we have men in prison. No longer is a person embarrassed because they're pregnant without a husband. No longer is a boy considered an embarrassment if he runs away from being the father of a child. I mean, and it was an unbelievable speech, which I've never forgotten. Uh, Cosby carried on like this, and um, his biographer, um, who's a guy called Mark Whitaker, says Cosby left the stage to applause and cheers, but also more than a few stunned expressions in the crowd. In the weeks and months to follow, Cosby would face furious blowback from black intellectuals and activists, the Jacksons and the and the Sharptons and the NAACPs, and all of these people attacked Cosby for that speech. And from that moment onwards, this is not Mark Whitaker, this is your rabbi now saying, from that moment onwards, Cosby's goose was cooked. He was going to have no friends at all among uh, black, so, you know, black political leadership just wasn't going to happen. Uh, one black academic at a university, I'm not sure what university, a guy called Eric Dyson said, uh, uh, Cosby is nothing but uh, pushing classicist, classist, elitist viewpoints that only reinforce suspicions about blacks. Um, there is a very overrated uh, and unimpressive writer called Tanehisi Coates, um, who... Uh, who called Cosby the patron saint of black elitists. Anyway, I mean, bottom line, of course, is that uh, Cosby was left to twist in the wind during his entire, uh, the entire case against him for sexual assault. As I say, I don't know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The court, uh, the court convicted him. Fine, I just don't know. You know, we Americans have a tendency towards witch hunts. Uh, we have a tendency towards getting hysterical about something. We did it in the 1600s with real witches, but we've also done it many times since then. You might remember the McMartin preschool cases of the 1980s, where both in Massachusetts and in Los Angeles, uh, people's lives were destroyed on the claim of toddlers who, encouraged by child psychologists, came up with these stories of dungeons in which uh, children were attacked and sexually assaulted. Again, zero evidence, people were put in jail. Uh, it's, it's a scary thing. And uh, to some extent now as well. Am I supporting boorish behavior towards women? No, of course not. But I am saying that uh, the rule of law has not been followed in the uh, destruction of men's lives on the say-so of women. Uh, I've, been, I've been saying this for a long time. At universities, 
uh, for a long time, universities have not even used the, 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 the easygoing standards of courts of law on this. They've gone even further extreme towards regarding a, a woman's allegation as a conviction. Tremendously problematic. And again, future generations will look back on this period and on this episode of American history. They'll scratch their heads and say, I, you know, it's impossible to believe that a country that has a constitution and follows rule of law uh, could have become so gripped by the hysteria of uh, leftism and of feminism. So uh, what do we do we understand about Germany? Uh, very simple. I'll explain that fully as we come back for uh, our next uh, segment in just a moment. Website to which I invite you, nay, welcome you, no, urge you to visit. You need a rabbi.com. That's right. You need a rabbi.com. Or you can just go to rabbidaniellappin.com. Same thing, same place. And uh, you can read about the organization I have the privilege to serve, the American Alliance of Jews and Christians. You can send us a question in the Ask the Rabbi section. You can also read the questions and answers of weeks and weeks and weeks gone by. And you can read Susan's musings. And uh, in all in all, the website contains a, a great deal more of the kind of information that it is our mission to share. So that's over at rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at something which makes a fabulous graduation present, which is Buried Treasure, a very lovely little book uh, by Susan and me, which you will see over at the website. Back with you in just a moment. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show as we try and home in on the internal contradictions of liberalism. Uh, number one, we've got facilities for women only, exercise facilities, work office space, vacation space, and uh, at the same time, we've got the argument that men and women are exactly the same and that uh, women who are insisting on women's only places are setting the women's movement back decades. Uh, and after all, if you're going to allow women's only, how can you stop men's only? Anyway, all of that tearing up the uh, arguments in liberalism. And then on the German front, uh, you've got Germany saying, well, because we're good, enlightened liberals now, we have to uh, love Jews and we have to love Israel and we have to love immigrants from anywhere. And now we've brought in well over a million uh, Muslim immigrants, many of them male, who not only are violent, not only don't accept Germany's uh, laws and regulations and customs, but uh, are virulently anti-Semitic and, uh, and anti-Israel. Well, now what do we do? We got ourselves a little uh, contradiction right there. What's this all about? Well, let's also clarify that uh, Germany for a long time has been very happy to condemn the anti-Semitism from right-wing local politicians, you know, whether it's uh, uh, Marie Le Pen in France or whether it's politicians in Holland, uh, who guys have been on the right-wing saying, look, you know, it's, it's enough with the Holocaust, it's enough with immigrants, 
uh, Holland is for the, the Dutch, France is for the French, uh, Germany should be for the Germans. So uh, German intellectuals have been extremely critical of those people, but they've been amazingly silent about the anti-Semitism of Muslim immigrants. So um, there is the difficulty. Also, I should tell you that in Germany for many years now, it has actually been illegal to engage in what's called Holocaust denial. Again, uh, this it may surprise you that as a Jew, uh, I strongly criticize that kind of terrible legislation. They've done it in Canada as well, where you're not allowed to say, I don't believe the Holocaust ever happened. I believe that that kind of restriction and that kind of, it's almost totalitarian, it's like having thought police, uh, is so destructive to civilization, and not good for Jews either, by the way. The idea that somehow, if you prohibit people from uh, denying that the Holocaust happened, the natural result of that is, oh, they'll love Jews. It doesn't exactly work that way. I was also a very outspoken um, critic when various school districts in many states around the country introduced Holocaust education. And I, I said it's a bad thing. It has nothing to do with America. America stopped the Holocaust by destroying Germany. They didn't cause it. And so to make in, uh, American school students, who as it is are perhaps the most pathetically educated people in the whole world, um, and to now make them devote a few semesters or whatever it is to educating what Germany did to the Jews in World War II, this is not a good idea. Many, unfortunately, many Jewish liberals pushed this out of the mistaken belief that, oh, this will help make sure that it never happens again. No, it actually won't. It will have nothing of that effect at all. Uh, it's a really bad idea. But anyway, Germany has uh, this rule that you're not allowed to speak about the Holocaust never having happened. You're actually not even allowed to speak about uh, uh, numbers of people killed in the Holocaust, as if somehow the number six million Jews is engraved in granite somewhere. It isn't. The truth is nobody knows. It might have been four million, might have been seven million. We don't know. Uh, but that's a number that has become a sort of widely accepted number. If you criticize that number or you uh, engage in research that seems to show the numbers are lower, immediately you get prosecuted in Germany and in Canada. Terrible idea, terrible mistake. People should be able to think what they like. People should even be allowed to say what they believe without governmental involvement. Now, private individuals can say, I don't want to listen to you. A privately owned radio station can say, we don't want to give you airtime, but it certainly should not be the role of government. Meanwhile, you've got uh, this growing conflict in Germany between the ordinary man in the street, the man and woman in the street, who are saying this immigration is a terrible thing for Germany, and you've got the, uh, the Merkel elitists saying, oh, this is what we've got to do, this is going to show the world that we are good people and we've atoned from World War II. Um, you know, from 2012 to 2017, uh, there was a guy called uh, Joachim Gauck, who was the president of Germany, 
And I've got a great quote from him. Listen to this. I am terrified of multiculturalism. I find it shameful when anti-Semitism among people from Arab states is ignored or declared understandable with reference to Israeli policies, or if criticism of Islam is immediately suspected of growing out of racism and hatred of Muslims. (laughs) It's terrible, right? Uh, Finally, two years, two years after she brought in a million Muslims, uh, Angela Merkel just recently uh, um, publicly mentioned the no-go areas not only in France, she's talking about them now in Germany, much more recent. These are huge high-crime Muslim immigrant neighborhoods where police literally won't go in. People are frightened to go in, and there they are in France and Germany. Um, You should know that for years and years, uh, European liberals and intellectuals have denied that these no-go zones exist, right? And they say it's Islamophobic to even speak of them. Uh, Angela Merkel says there are such areas and one has to call them by their name and do something about them. So uh, uh, also, I also read that um, Germany's Germany's got four main intelligence agencies. There are reasons why uh, it's such a complicated setup, but they've got four. And the four combined, uh, issuing a report in 2015, and, and you can find this online, uh, uh, a paragraph of the report reads, we are importing Islamic extremism, Arab anti-Semitism, national and ethnic conflicts of other people, as well as the different societal and legal understanding. Uh, we are very pessimistic about Germany's ability to assimilate so many newcomers who will only exacerbate existing social tensions. It's pretty amazing. Um, so... Um, um, Merkel said also uh, in at the beginning of 2018, she said, it is inconceivable and shameful that no Jewish institution can exist without police protection, whether it is a school, a kindergarten, or a synagogue. And, um, and just uh, also at the beginning of 2018, there was a uh, massive Muslim um, rally and demonstration uh, in in um, in Berlin, actually, and it, it was a number of journalists noted that this huge anti-Semitic and anti-Israel rally—that's what they're doing—screaming and screaming anti-Jewish, anti-Israel slogans, burning Israeli flags. That all of this took place um, about two hundred yards from the big uh, memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe in Berlin. So you've got these massive internal contradictions and clashes going on, produced by liberalism in Germany and produced by liberalism in the, uh, in the women's movements. So what is going on here? Um, well, let me, let me explain. Um, what's going on here is, in my understanding, a complete rejection of the idea that Christianity lies at the heart of Western civilization. Judeo-Christian values, if you prefer, lie at the heart of Western civilization. That's what this is a reluctance to understand and a reluctance to accept. 
what do I mean by that? Well, if we go back to the women issue I was talking about, it's very simple. Right? It's fundamental to Judeo-Christian values that male and female, he created them. Uh, for those of you who do not know whether Leviticus is an aftershave lotion or a book, uh, male and female, he created them, is a quotation from very early in Genesis. That's a book, by the way. And uh, and this is something that has been at the heart of Western civilization. Um, women and children first, right? When the Titanic sank or whenever, whenever there's been a shipwreck, in Western nations, it's always been women and children to the lifeboats first. But when a, a ferry goes under in other countries, in Asia predominantly, uh, or in, in Africa, a ferry boat sank on uh, Lake Victoria in Africa, and I specifically made inquiries as to whether there was any notion of women and children first. Of course not. This is strictly a Western civilization thing got from the Bible, got from Judeo-Christian thinking. And so um, as soon as you create a culture that says men and women are identical, then the policy consequences of that are going to become ludicrous, and they will contain their own internal inconsistencies, quite inevitably. And so, in other words, going back to my waiter uh, paradox at the beginning of the show, when you start off with a basic misconception, when you distort a fundamental truth, in, in the case of that silly little story, the fundamental truth was that the waiter's 20 cents plus the 270 that the diners paid uh, that the um, the way excuse me that the uh, 270 that the way the diners paid is made up of the two dollars and fifty cents bill plus the 20 cents the waiter pocketed as soon as you distort that and allow a misrepresentation to become to replace the truth which is hey wait a second if we add the waiters 20 cents to the $2.70 they paid we come to 290 instead of three dollars what's going on here and it becomes baffling and inconsistent, as soon as we allow a falsity uh, to gain credence, namely men and women are identical, well, then you're going to have ludicrous results and you're going to have uh, inconsistencies internally. And so there we've got at one and the same time some women applauding women's only facilities, whether it's vacation spots or exercise gyms or uh, workplaces, uh, and you'll have other women decrying it as uh, as sexist. <laughs> it's you know one can only laugh. And uh, as long as um, we insist that all religions are exactly the same, and that there's no difference between importing a million Muslims and importing a million Christians, then Germany is stuck with the results of that. Uh, the liberalism that has permeated France, the liberalism that has reshaped the uh, the face of England and of the United Kingdom, all of that has um, produced the chaos that they are now facing, namely that uh, an inability to recognize that Islam and Christianity are not identical, 
that uh, Islam and identity do not worship the same God, that Islam and identity, Islam and Christianity expect completely different things from their adherents and from their devotees. Uh, Islam built up some of the hellholes of the world, and Christianity built up Western civilization and the United States of America. So with, you know, with, with all the flaws of the West, obviously it's superior, and it's not just me saying so. It's all the immigrants who are pouring away from Muslim countries and doing whatever they can to flock in to Western countries. So, um, so there it is. It's, um, it's, it's very interesting to see the internal conflict in, in Germany right now between their liberal values, welcoming immigrants, and at the same time, what do you do when the immigrants you're bringing in are virulently anti-Semitic, anti-Western civilization, anti-Israel, and uh, your own country has values that uh, are pro-Western civilization, pro-democracy, pro-Israel, and uh, philo-Semitic, well, it's going to be interesting to watch. But that there is real trouble brewing there, uh, I think is evident, because I do not see a million young males, not in Germany, not in fr in France, it's, it's, it's higher figures, of course, um, Sweden, the face of Sweden has been changed. Crime in Sweden is almost exclusively the domain of young male Muslim immigrants. Uh, we're going to watch and see. Is it going to result in possibly a resurgence of enthusiasm for Western civilization and its Christian roots? I don't know yet, but it's worth keeping an eye on, isn't it? We're going to take a good look at that. We're going to keep an eye on that in the weeks ahead here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. But for now, I ask you to visit my website. Make sure you're on our mailing list. Uh, make sure that I have a way of letting you know when I'm going to be in your town or your neighborhood because I'd love to actually meet. I just got back, as it happens, from Dallas, uh, where I spoke last weekend, and uh, and Nashville, where I spoke for a few organizations during the beginning of this week, and at each place, it was just it was too wonderful for words how many people who listened to this show uh, did come up to me and say hello, and I really appreciate that. I love I love it when that happens. Um, I was sitting in a well in a in a coffee shop belonging to a well-known chain whose name I shall not mention because they are not yet sponsors of this show. And um, I was sitting there with Susan, and we were talking to each other. I guess we must have been talking a little bit louder than we realized, for which I apologize. Uh, but we, I think we were getting um, carried away with a, a, a discussion, or even a bit of a debate we were really having as we were trying to figure out what we, what we think about something, where a, a delightful woman came up. How do I know she's delightful? Because we invited her to join us and uh, have coffee with us. But she stopped and she said, oh, my God, are, are you are you Rabbi Daniel Appen? And uh, is, is that Susan as well? Well, turns out she's a listener to this show, and uh, she just recognized our voices. What do you know about that? So there we are, and we, we love that. So at any rate, um, do make sure you're on our mailing list. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at a, a book, which is a terrific gift, uh, called Buried Treasure, Life Lessons from the Lord's Language. You can read more about it at youneedarabbi.com or 
rabbidaniellappin.com, either way. Please head over there and uh, do us both a favor. And uh, until next week, it is only and already time for me, your rabbi, to wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.